How are we doing guys? It's Matt Whitmore here of Fitter Food and this is Fitter Food Radio episode 93 to be precise and of course I'm here with Keris Marsden as always. What's up? 93. 93. <laughs> 93 bruv. How are you? I'm fine, how are you? <laughs> Not bad actually, what have you been up to? <laughs> Right, guys, in this episode, we are going to talk about IBS, a.k.a. Irritable irritable Bowel Syndrome, which, uh, you know, as you can imagine, is gut-related, bowel-related. It is. The uh, reason we're talking about it is I went to another, uh, well, it was a gut conference run by, it used to be Complementary and Alternative Medicine, it's now IHCAM, and I can't for life me remember <laughs> what that stands for. I'd imagine integrated isn't in there somewhere, but anyway. <laughs> Integrative health is, is like the kind of in term at the moment. Oh, is so, it now? Yeah. Actually, I was reading a really interesting blog by a doctor. It was a scathing blog where they were saying that because alternative medicine kind of... What do you think of? If I say alternative medicine to you, what do you think of? I suppose like... Uh... Like homemade potions. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I, I have nukes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wah, wah. So, so that everyone is including like homeopathy. I think the school of homeopathy is rebranded as something like the school of integrative medicine or something like that. And it, that's the term being used by alternative medicine to kind of give it more credibility. I think right, is, right. is the goal. Um, so the conferences that I go to um, are now I can I. No, it can't be I can. I hate can. Anyway, um, and they did one on gut health, so obviously I booked on. And what I'm going to do, the next few podcasts, um, there was some fantastic talks, and I've approached some of the speakers to come on the podcast. Um, but I thought we could break down the next couple of podcasts on the topics individually. Because mm-hmm. uh, obviously I was there for the whole day, and you guys don't want to listen to me talk for a whole day about what I learned. Yeah, <laughs> so, maybe not a whole day. Yeah. <laughs> as interesting as you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... I thought, well, the first talk was about irritable bowel syndrome, and I know we've covered it before on the podcast, but I still have people coming to me saying, I've got such relief, Um, I've been to the doctors, and I've finally got a diagnosis of IBS, I finally know what's wrong with me. And my first thought is, actually, you don't. (laughs) And not because I'm kind of questioning a doctor's diagnosis, well, actually, I am, Uh, but because (laughs) as this talk... Sorry, uh, sorry, not sorry. Yeah, what I'm going to kind of talk you through is... It's really just an umbrella term for like dysfunction, but I didn't realise how high the stats were now in terms mm. of um, you know how many people are diagnosed in the UK, all over the world, in fact, America, um, and all the kind of different you know the medications are becoming again just like a you know lots and lots of investment is heading in terms of how do we treat the symptoms of IBS, how do we make people able to cope a little bit better, but nobody again is talking about causes. Well, we can kick off by just talking about... Have you ever had an irritable bowel syndrome, Matt? <laughs> it, it depends. You haven't been diagnosed with it. I've never been diagnosed except, with it. Except by me. Except by you. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've gone through stages of uh, excessive farting. Yeah, <laughs> that would be up there. You know, so... And that was that was, that was was certainly the case many years ago, pre, pre-fit of food. Have I you was... ever told the story about my housemates? Oh, that story? Yeah. No, what, so, why, why would I? Why would I share that story? I'll tell. I'll tell you guys. So basically, when Matt and I first met, I lived with um, two girls, and <laughs> Matt used to come round and visit, didn't you? And we, I think we, we were cooking dinner. We'd had a nice dinner. You then left the kitchen and let out a good two-minute rip-roaring fart, like bit of exaggeration on the two minutes. Well, it was a long one. It was a long one. It was though. a long one. 
And it was a loud one. Yeah. <laughs> my housemate, it's lovely. They were absolutely like nice as pie to me, but she was German. I don't know if that's anything. Maybe in Germany it's it's really offensive. To be fair, it's well, to quite me, offensive in most countries to well, do is that. is it quite offensive? And leave my, the table. In, 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 in my experience, actually, of um, being when, when I was a personal trainer, I had German clients. Yeah. They were very, uh, very out, quite outspoken in their opinions. You really? know, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they they didn't really hold oh, back. Not just about farts. About not anything. just about farts, but you know, they're very kind right. of uh, you know vocal. Yeah. About things. Well. She went absolutely crackers at well, you, didn't she? Oh my gosh, yeah, she did. But let me explain for a second because you missed this really major detail out. Oh, right. I didn't know they were home. Oh, right. Okay. If you remember, <laughs> yeah. we thought we were home alone. So it's all right to do it in front of a lady you're trying to impress. But like... I'd already impressed you, let's be honest. We were, we were okay. long past that phase. Okay. I, I had you. Okay. You know, and, um, and it was, you can imagine my shock horror. But when the as, line. Soon as, as soon as it finished, and then I, I just heard someone go, "You have got to be kidding, kidding me. me!" And I was just like, <laughs> oh. "She screeched it, didn't she?" Yeah, she wasn't happy. Yeah, but the and, best and, thing and, was, I don't blame her. We lived in North London, and you were South London, and she went, "You could take that back to South London." Yeah, right? I was like, "Wow, <laughs> I, I better, I, I best leave now. Take your farts and cross the river, <laughs> and don't come back." I couldn't face her again after that. <laughs> But any, if any good girlfriend would have taken the blame. <laughs> Whatever. <Yeah. laughs> There's no way I was even capable of producing something like that. I've done it for you. <laughs> yeah, you, you, don't, you don't want me to tell that story, do you? To be fair, that, that urgent look, that I take blame, take blame. That's what she, she's... Keris <laughs> has genuinely done that. Every woman has done that. <laughs> like, let, let a sneaky one out and then realises someone else is about to come in the room and I get a little nudge. <laughs> And take blame, I'll be like, right, yes, okay, Keris. Because it's much more acceptable for a bloke to fart in. <laughs> the thing is, like, I find it so funny that so many happen in yoga. And, like, <laughs> there's a number of times I've been in, like, child's pose and shaking because someone's just, like, blown off. But my mum is very, like, it's not something that you laugh at. It's not funny. It's not... But, I, you know, I just find it so funny. I think it's hilarious. And um, I remember when we were kids, my mum would be like, if you're going to do it, you need to leave the room and say, excuse me, please. Or if it slips out, you need to say, oh, pardon me, I'm very sorry. And I vividly remember having a family dinner once. <laughs> my brother just went, excuse me, please, I need to leave the room. And then he just stood outside the door, just <laughs> farting, like, oh, like, even now. Just, and me and my other brother were just still crying at the table. Yeah, because you could only hear it. And my mum and dad were trapped, and my mum was trying not to laugh because she didn't want to encourage us. And he was just outside the door, like... And then he came back in. Oh, God, it was so funny. I don't know. Maybe because I have brothers that I think it's so funny. I've always found it quite comical. But my mum, we put it in our book, do you remember? Yeah. And I remember writing that line about gut health and saying, as funny as a good fart is, my mum was like, it's not funny. <laughs> Get out of the book. <laughs> but I think it does depend, though, doesn't it? Because my, my granddad was very old school like that as well. Really? In the, you know, if I ever let out a fart, even if it was a silent one, if he kind of caught whiff of it, you know, next thing you know, and I just like it, it probably just like throw an object at me like, <laughs> from across the room because <laughs> he knew it was me. Yeah. He said, "Take, take your ass outside to the bathroom." <laughs> you know, he was genuinely really offended by it. <laughs> well, our dog used to get told off so much that we had a great day. So you imagine it pretty much like I, lo- I love the how room. this has just turned into like, like confessions. Stories. 
Fart confessions. <laughs> but this, he used to, basically, because he knew my dad would do that, like, he'd basically say, get out of the room. You'd, just, you'd be sat there and you'd hear this kind of like, and then basically the dog would just get up and walk out because he knew he'd be thrown out anyway. <laughs> so just leave you with it. Basically, yeah. Charming. Anyway, I mean, back to IBS isn't... isn't back to IBS. It isn't funny if you suffer with it. Now, as much as we've just laughed, and some people might be going, it's not funny, um, I suffered for a good 10 years with IBS. And it's embarrassing um, as much as I still, you know, I, I think it's funny, you know, bodily functions can be a, a bit of a giggle. When you are kind of in pain and when you are struggling, it does become a bit of a, it really affects your mood and it really affects, can affect anything from like performance and as in kind of your training, your performance mm-hmm. because you get IBS attacks. Anything from kind of like public speaking and stuff like that become, you know, you're nervous about them because you're like, I'm going to, you know, it's going to affect my gut type thing. So, um Back to the important points, as much as I'd love to spend a whole podcast yeah. telling fast stories. I was having time. <laughs> yeah. I thought this is brilliant. Um, so basically, the message that is kind of coming through the nutritional therapy realm at the moment, and we've said this for a while, is it, this is IBS is an umbrella term that will be pr- presented to you by a doctor, and it tends to mean you basically don't have an inflammatory bowel disease, uh, which would be Crohn's um, mm-hmm. or colitis. So they'll do, it's kind of like a a diagnosis of elimination. So they'll do a few tests, look at things like calprotectin, which is an inflammatory marker in the gut, Mm -hmm. um, look at other diseases it could be, look at celiacs, for example. And then after that, they'll say, you have irritable bowel syndrome and maybe follow a low FODMAP diet, which is fermentable carbohydrates. Um, You might also be offered something like, depending on the symptoms, um, antispasmodic drugs or uh, medication sorry or um, fiber if you're constipated like soluble fiber sometimes people are offered probiotics which is you know increasingly the case and also there are two different types of constipation so constipation IBS IBS so generally uh, every kind of um, uh, diagnosis has a criteria that mm-hmm. a doctor has to follow and it's all about the kind of symptoms that you experience whether that's loose bowel movements or constipation and generally it's that it's been over several several months i think it's three Mm -hmm. to six months and also that it's affecting your quality of life your happiness your mood that kind of stuff um and you have ibsc which is ibs um constipation yeah ibsd which is what do you recognize oh diarrhea (laughs) (laughs) um and some people are offered um antidepressants for ibs did you know that why because again it's I mean, one thing that the medical world has done is made that link between anxiety and the effect it has mm-hmm. on the gut. And also they know that a lot of serotonin is um, serotonin is produced in the gut and we know that serotonin is the feel-good brain chemical and they don't quite know how the two interact yet, but there's definitely links. So possibly giving somebody serotonin might help with their gut function a little bit better, especially gut motility, so the movement of the gut, mm-hmm. peristalsis. Well, I mean, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because I know that back in my kind of like rugby days yeah without fail i would always have like at least two or three like pre-match poos (laughs) (laughs) really (laughs) which were you know you know like no full disclosure (laughs) um you know uh loose right is probably the best way to describe it um even though nutrition was good and had no kind of like issues prior to that day yeah it's just the kind of the nerves and the adrenaline yeah, yeah. uh on the on the day and i think a lot of people experience the same things before like a, a race you know a marathon or, or, yeah. or an event of uh, that they've been working up to and for me it was a weekly occurrence before rugby because you know i took it very seriously excuse me and um yeah so but then of course after the game was finished everything was 
hunky-dory hunky-dory back to normal well except when you had like 10 pints to celebrate and then (laughs) pizza on the way home once upon a time yeah (laughs) forever ago now well you have in the gut something called the enteric nervous system which if you think of um we went to body worlds when we were in amsterdam didn't we Mm. and they showed you some great um so obviously this is gunter von what's his name hagen hagen i can't remember anyway the, the the dude who likes to kind of take bodies and embalm them and then kind of show what we look like when we've got the just our muscle and our nerves mm. and our tissues so and there was some that were just the nerves and it was great to see I mean everybody kind of you couldn't help but like your, your head your, your eye kind of wandered down <laughs> didn't they looking at where yeah. the nerves were the kind of nerves went from the brain all the way down to like fingers toes but other areas of the body but the gut <laughs> is a massive like ball. other areas of yeah the body. but it, everyone did it but the gut is like a massive ball of, of a bundle of nerves you know trying to take on from the brain because the brain is obviously looking at the environment and going okay right we're about to hit the rugby pitch this is going to be a lot of, you know, this is, you're nervous, you know, there's going to be, you know, possibly, I wonder what the perception of your brain would have been, like, would it be danger or excitement? I'm sure or, it's like, yeah, it's, I suppose it's interesting because... It wouldn't be like your life was a threat, like no, a fight or flight, but, but it would but, because you But I suppose trained. it would be a similar feeling yeah, yeah. of fight or flight. Yeah, so like heart rate racing and like yeah. butterflies, that kind of yeah. stuff. So butterflies in the stomach is a great example of your enteric nervous system you know, acting to the environmental stimulus, so, you know, you know kind of nervousness. Yeah, right. Um, similarly, um, so, so this this can be really affected, and actually things like surgery affect this massively. We can almost sever that kind of that feedback, as can various things like infections, viruses, you know, all that kind of stuff, damage to the gut generally will affect that feedback from, you know, gut to brain, the gut-brain right. access. So, um, <clears throat> so that's how things like... Um, antispasmodics and things like that work as well they kind of trigger receptors in the gut which are are kind of you know maybe spasming as a result of anxiety and they relax them a little bit more that's how things like peppermint uh, also works as well so it does come in have kind mm-hmm. of calming, relaxing effect on the gut. So um, anyway, what was really cool about this talk, it was by a naturopath called Ben Brown. Um, and he was just talking about what we nearly really need to start doing is looking at like the causes of IBS. And really, if you think about the functional medicine model, it's always, always about the function of all the different systems. And he said, function has simply broken down. Mm-hmm. So what we just spoke about then, where is it a kind of nervous system problem? Um, so that would be, you know, is it the gut brain connection? So is this anxiety related? Um, and, and the one thing I will say, we've been saying this more and more, my mum is notorious for this, is she thinks everything is related to stress, which possibly it is, but then don't just park sorting it out because you can't address the stress. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes I feel like stress is a scapegoat for people um, when they have a job that they don't like. Now, obviously, you want to kind of say, look at getting your CV out and getting a job that you do like. Mm. But in the background, don't think that there's nothing that you can do to manage your stress response or your, um, you know, your kind of, well, well, exactly that, really, your perception of the situation, because that will change your gut function. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there's a bit of tendency, like I said, if I ring my mum and say, oh, I've had a, you know, a bit of an IBS attack this week, she'll go, oh, it's stress, it's stress, isn't it? You know, and I, I could have been on holiday and she'd say that, like, it's, it's always stress with them. But actually, yeah, yeah. it could be, um, I just ate my dinner too fast. That's why I had an IBS attack, maybe because I was stressed, but there we go. Anyway, <laughs> going back to the cause side of things. So a couple of causes that you, one we've just mentioned is stress and anxiety because of that. And if you think about the saying, I hate, I'm not, I'm not very good at swearing on here, but you know, you shit yourself, like, 
it's kind of a, a natural response of the body in times of emergency we basically empty that bowel and that's why you might have that kind of rapid bowel movements mm-hmm. but then equally the bowel can shut down so it's almost like you have no bowel movement yeah. so sometimes in times of stress people just get chronic constipation mm-hmm. another thing that really affects the bowel and everybody will probably know this see if you can guess it give me one other thing that you might do in your lifestyle routine that's kind of dominant that kind of affects whether or not you have a bowel movement that day um, oh, oh. Uh, exercise? Yeah, that was actually, that was three, but number two, you can get number two. Well done. These are kind of the lifestyle bits and bobs. What in your lifestyle in the day would affect the bowel movement? Lifestyle, yeah? Yeah. Sleep? Yep. So your circadian rhythm. Okay. So the the time that you wake and go to bed. And again, I often have clients feed this back to me and say, whenever I have an early start or a travel, Mm -hmm. I get constipated or my bowels don't move. Buttoned up. Yeah, so that's again that, that kind of changes the circadian rhythm. <laughs> and so people have like really strong coffee when they <laughs> when they basically yeah, yeah. have a really early start, one to get them going and then two to get the barrels moving. But anyway. But but that's an interesting uh, just just talking about coffee. Yeah. Is that when people talk about kind of like IBS, um, you know, and let's let's assume, you know, it's IBSD. Yeah. Um, I think people automatically think of food. Yeah, but actually, coffee is—you know—it's it, quite the—it's quite the gut irritant, isn't oh, it? Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. So you know, like uh, a lot of people that we've worked with, you know, and we're like, and they're like, oh, but I've done this, I've done that, I've stopped eating this, I'm eating more of that. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, but how many coffees are you drinking? I oh, about five or six. I'm yeah. like, bingo. Oh no, definitely. And then you take the coffee out or reduce it. Yeah. You know, don't take coffee away from someone. My gosh. <laughs> but, and all of a sudden, people start to feel better for it. Yeah. They, they don't—they don't make that association to a, a liquid, to a beverage, you know. But also, what about if it's because it's kind of shutting down um, receptors that make you feel for, for something called adenosine, which makes you feel nice and calm and sleepy. So it kind of will keep you a little bit heightened. Mm-hmm. So again, if you're anxious and then you're drinking coffee, we know that actually it's kind of contributing to that that kind of fight or flight state. And to be mind. fair, going back to to when you know, like my like rugby days, you know, I would often have a coffee, coffee yeah. or a couple of coffees pre match, pre match, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and, and like you say, I would have already been like in a in a heightened state as you will as you were well that's a great point because the other thing that I often highlight to people is <laughs> it's never one thing so what can happen is when you I'm working you get a t-shirt made I know saying that, that. I know because, <laughs> because I was guilty of this for so long when I had IBS I was trying to identify what is it that triggers me what is that thing that triggers me and I think I've told this story a million times before, but I went to a doctor and he said, give up gluten, give up dairy, give up running and manage stress. And I was like, well, I should really do one at a time. Like, cheers, doc. I'll yeah. get on it right away. I'll come back next week. So it was really hard and I kind of wouldn't uh, even, it's funny because now I get frustrated when people don't take my advice, but I walked away from that and didn't take any of that advice. I did actually, I gave up dairy and gluten because they were easy to do. Yeah. I just bought gluten-free pasta and I brought soya milk. So, and, and it didn't clear it, and none of my symptoms improved. So I was like, well, it's not the gluten and the dairy. So I kind of got a bit more lackadaisical about those. But what I wasn't addressing is that, the, and this is what we're going to move on to really, is there's an underlying dysfunction, but the triggers can be multiple and, and kind of accumulative. So it could be, we've often said this, that, that actually when you're relaxed and happy and chilled at the weekend, you can tolerate some foods that, you know, maybe you can't when you're stressed. So so, same as when people go on holiday. Yeah, you know, people yeah, like, oh, I, was, I was drinking and I was eating bread and pasta and I felt absolutely fantastic and fine. Yeah, yeah. Been back a few days and all of a sudden, yeah, I either can't go or I can't stop going or you know. 
Interestingly, this is a, a digression slightly, but um, when I go to these events, it's amazing because I get to catch up with other nutritional therapists yeah. and we kind of cross paths. And <clears throat> one of them that I was speaking to, uh, we should really get them on the po- podcast, really. Um, they're very big into um, kind of ketogenic diets and self-experimentation and, and they're always doing kind of um, tracking. So at the moment, they've got these rings that track their sleep. I've never oh, yeah. seen them before. Have you seen them? No, I've so heard it's a it. ring and I've it tracks it. their sleep and their kind of REM sleep and and I know you're a bit against all this stuff because you're like this is just overwhelm and and people then start to you know, it's almost like as if we don't have enough to think about but they love it they like to geek out on it but what they were saying is they've been away on holiday both of them they're a, a, a husband and wife and they had eaten gluten drank alcohol had dairy but then what they'd noticed was because um, <clears throat> they were relaxed and everything, you know, it didn't have the same impact on. They measured your blood glucose, uh-huh. or something they were doing was measuring blood glucose in their sleep. What was the biggest? Uh, what had the biggest impact on their blood glucose was their sleep, actually. So when they came back and they kind of changed their sleep routine and their sleep wasn't as good, they weren't as relaxed. They were back at work. They were saying their stress and their sleep affected their blood sugar more than their food. Uh, I thought it was just really interesting because again, it's not where we all think. Yeah. We all get the glucose monitors and start saying, "Can I have a sweet potato? Can I have cornflakes?" You know, hopefully not, but um, you know, like those are what we would test. But do we test how am I on six hours sleep? How am I on eight hours mm. sleep? And that's what they've been looking at. And she was saying, eight hours sleep, her blood sugar levels are amazing. Six, they're terrible. It is interesting. It is interesting. And I know you're going to say you don't need a gadget to know that. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 not necessarily. But again, I'm a bit like sometimes I kind of feel almost like that kind of information in the wrong hands could probably do more harm oh, yeah, yeah, than probably. good. Yeah, you probably. know what I mean? Yes. Like, yeah. you know, for me, it's a bit of a no-brainer that, you know, if yeah. I get more sleep, I feel better for it. Yeah. You know, if I get less sleep, you know, consistently. It's so anti-gadget. I, I want a ring. <laughs> <laughs> I want one of them rings. Is that a subtle hint? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Heavy longer than you should have put a ring. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever they're called. Rem rings. <laughs> Put a rem ring on it. Yeah. <laughs> I did that in the church. No, but I do. I do think we've gone a bit gadget mad. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, that, I that's that's another podcast. I mean, I'm, I'm all for you know all these kind of like step devices and whatever to give people a bit of an incentive. Yeah. But how many steps have you done today, Matthew? Oh, not many. He's not even left the house today, everybody, and it's five o'clock. It's true. It's a shocker. <laughs> it's a shocker. Um, but <laughs> I don't need. A bracelet to tell me that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm fully Equally, aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> so I've saved myself hundred quid there. Yeah. And, you know. Good point. Good point. Um, right. So down to the dysfunction that might be occurring. Just because this will give you guys an idea of like where can you go with it. So there are some functional tests that you can do. Uh, we had the guys on from Invivo Clinical talking about the GI map, which looks at enzyme production, uh, good bacteria, kind of opportunistic bacteria, viruses, that kind of stuff. But I'm just going to talk through some things that might be going wrong. So first and foremost, you might have what we call pancreatic enzyme insufficiency. So you don't produce enough enzymes essentially to break down your food, which means that things that are um, you know generally carbohydrates are the things that we would notice. So the FODMAPs start to cause you problems. So a really simple way to address a FODMAP intolerance initially is obviously maybe reduce them slightly. Definitely don't have something like a giant bowl of cabbage, onions, <laughs> garlic, and you know covered in in I'm trying to think cheese <laughs> so you know you've got the lactose in there and then all the kind of um uh, kind of farty fruits and vegetables but take a digestive enzyme so that's one simple starting point that that anyone you know can do we uh, tend to recommend kind of you know 
good brands if you can. I really like uh, Designs for Health and I like Now. Uh, they're really good. Uh, again, I probably should backtrack a little bit and say if you've got years of IBS behind you and, and the stats were saying some people, 50% of the, the kind of population who have it have had it for like 10 years. Can you imagine that? Wow. Um, and what I start to notice with people with kind of that chronic IBS is they are riddled with nutrient deficiencies. So not only do they need the digestive infrastructure supporting, like we're going to go through in a second, they need to kind of do some nutrient catch up. And most of it's better done kind of sublingual under the tongue or, um, you know, liquid form or whichever way we can do it and get it in the body quickly. Um, definitely with the support of things like enzymes and stuff as well to make sure that they can get their nutrient status back up. Otherwise, um, the gut can't even um how do i explain this so the things like the enzymes are made of certain proteins and they require certain micronutrients to be made does that make sense mm -hmm. so if you can't absorb any of those things you can't absorb your protein and you know then you can't have the micronutrients similarly stomach acid requires micronutrients to make it mm -hmm. and all the cells require nutrients to even be healthy that line the gut and support the gut and run the gut so you get in this vicious cycle of if you get the nutrient deficiencies, the gut can't repair itself and then the gut can't work anyway and then you can't, you know, so, so you're eating the food but you're not benefiting from it. Yeah. Next up, <clears throat> so we've got pancreatic enzyme insufficiency. Another thing would be intestinal permeability. So everyone knows that as leaky gut where essentially the kind of the gut barrier begins to break down and certain proteins like sonulin that, that are kind of released when we have gluten will make that worse. But intestinal permeability can happen through stress, through intense exercise, through kind of um, exposure to, to certain, um, well, it's believed if you were kind of having any kind of inflammatory response to something, then it could cause that. Even things like antibiotics kind of wiping out the bacteria that protect the, 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 the gut barrier could then cause it to um, um, basically kind of open up. So there was a great explanation of um, your gut barrier and it's basically, the gut barrier is kind of one cell thick, it's not very thick, right. but it's got this massive layer of mucus on the top, like slime. Lovely. And it's really, really dense and thick on the barrier and then it gets kind of thinner, a bit more kind of like viscous and that's where all the bacteria swim around. And as your food comes in, remember it's the outside world coming into your body, in the, in the small intestine we're talking about here, um, <clears throat> basically the bacteria are kind of sorting through all of that stuff and deciding what can go in and what can stay out. But that mucus is really important. You know, like um, basically bogeys, and um, this is a great podcast, bogeys and farts. Yeah. <laughs> all the best things. <laughs> it's all coming out. If you're not eating the bogeys like that, <laughs> then they're there to basically protect the nasal well, cavity. <laughs> And same for the eyes, your eyes water, it's all mucus, it's all part of your immune system. And if you think about it, when the immune system is overactive, we will overproduce that mucus. So your eyes will stream, your nose will run, and you know, you might start to cough up phlegm, you might start to have mucus actually being passed by the bowel as well. So that's kind of your immune system being activated. So intestinal permeability is really important, and there are so many nutrients now. It's in fact it's a big, big kind of part of what I do with clients now. I always go in with barrier support and I'll use things like marshmallow glutamine aloe vera you can get a form of licorice that's deglycerized i think that's how you say it that again just kind of supports the regeneration of the cells and the, the production of that mucus layer um, there's a big push at the moment in the functional medicine world on stewed apple and yogurt because those have got again components in that will help that build up the mm -hmm. gut again stuff that you always kind of fancy when you're ill you know like yeah, obviously, yeah. like chicken soup all the bone broth and stewed apple i remember seeing do you remember when we saw this on this nhs documentary we've probably mentioned this before um about what the, the first meal that the nhs used to offer this is gosh like i don't know 50 80 years ago something like that was stewed apple crumble with cream and butter 
because of the amount of vitamin A and um, and you know the vitamin C and the apples yeah, and the fiber and stuff. Um, and that was post surgery. That was one of the first meals they made really? in the hospitals. Yeah, and they, they, said did, they didn't bring me that after my op. Yeah. <laughs> what did you get? Got some rotten uh, <laughs> what ham sandwich. No, no, no. It, it was actually it was a Sunday roast. All right. But, you know, when you think of a Sunday roast, you know, oh, you think of what you get, make, yeah. you know, and it was just a, a real letdown. I don't know, I'm probably still, I was probably still drugged up and my level of expectation was uh, higher than it should have been. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, Where am I? <laughs> yeah, like, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, moving on. So next up could be uh, fatty acid uh, malabsorption. So you're having a real problem breaking down fats because maybe there's a problem with something like your gallbladder so you've heard of gallstones Mm -hmm. so is it that again you're not producing the bile necessarily um and we've got this kind of uh, biliary tree that produces the bile to break down we've talked about this before um so that could be a factor and and that is generally reflected in things like loose bowel movements and Mm -hmm. if your stool floats so i often say to people have a little look in the toilet see what's going on um if the stool is floating it could be that there's there's fats in the stool Mm -hmm. so a fatty stool um Things like uh, constipation has multiple causes, but it will cause IBS by the fact that there's just a build-up, like a really obvious thing, isn't it, to, to say. Um, so you find the cause of the, the constipation. It could be like a fibre in the diet, poor mm. gut motility, um, possibly thyroid, so sluggish, just sluggish function of the gut due to thyroid, hypothyroidism, so low thyroid function. Um, but ultimately that constipation is going to cause other issues in the yeah. gut, so it can be considered a cause. Dysbiosis, we've talked about before, not enough good bacteria, too much opportunistic bacteria, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth we have talked about before. Um, so if you guys just jump back through the podcast, anything on gut will have mentioned this. There is something now called small intestinal fungal overgrowth that I saw mm. the other day. I haven't had a chance to look into that much yet, but I, I'm assuming it is what it says on the tin. Sounds lovely. Yeah, <laughs> basically kind of yeast overgrowth. Yeast is so problematic, as you well know, Matt. Parasite infections is another one as well. Um, even something like a, a virus, like a food poisoning virus, can actually, we've mentioned this before, I think, kind of cause problems with the gut movement, the, um, the cleansing wave that it runs um, in between meals to get rid of it, to kind of wash over, get some, you know, get rid of the bacteria and stuff. So that could also cause some problems. So the thing is with the IBS is generally there's some kind of dysfunction, like we've just mentioned, it's gone wrong. Mm-hmm. So actually restoring that function in the gut, which is so easily done with nutritional therapy, will take away the symptoms and then you'll do the catch-up dosing with your nutrition. Um, just a couple of things that were mentioned as um, areas for people to explore as well. Uh, firstly was the FODMAP, low FODMAP diet. Now, we have mentioned before, I think this can be great for symptom relief, but you don't want to be on it forever. And I've had clients come to me and say, I'm really stressed doing this low FODMAP diet, plus I'm trying to do um, paleo, plus I'm trying to do macros, and it's just it's too much, you know, it's, it's really... Um, and I'll often say, actually, what we could probably do is get you digesting the FODMAPs better if we supported the yeah. infrastructure. Some people will always have an intolerance to certain FODMAPs. You found that, haven't you? Like, yeah, yeah. You can't power your plate too high with cabbage, chickpeas, beans. Because and... for me, it's, I don't think there's necessary things I can't, at all yeah but i do think there's things i can't eat a lot of yes yeah. so you know like and that's probably like a you know a big tip just generally is just getting people to you know just eat less of things that they've kind of made that connection yeah, yeah. to have a know. small tolerance for a bit yeah. of broccoli not right. a... so rather than just kind of all of a sudden saying i can't eat this i can't yeah. eat that you know which is you know no one really wants to 
think that way. No. You know, just think initially, just eat less. Actually, just see a big point I... was to eat smaller meals generally. So although we're kind of big fans of, of <clears> you know, three meals a day and make sure, you know, it might be that you do four small meals because mm. your digestive system is just a bit kind of tender. It needs a little bit of, you know, just, just not being over, overwhelmed, overloaded. And as great as veg is for you, um, you know, it's, it's lower in calories, it's nutrient dense. You know, if you're piling your plate high to kind of uh, bulk a meal out and think, oh, yeah, this is all good stuff. But, you know, let's be honest, there's a lot of veg out there that is rather... Uh, Farty. Yeah. <laughs> so it was mentioned, um, basically, beans, cabbage, onions, that kind of stuff. Again, what I found personally is in certain... It's, it's how it's cooked. It's the environment that I'm eating in. I always used to find, um, you know, kind of family meals at the weekend, more relaxed. I can tolerate quite a lot mm. more of those FODMAP foods. Also, if I haven't trained, I'm, yeah. my digestion is way better. Whereas if I've done something like a, a run or a kettlebell session and then I go and eat anything with... You know, any like a, even a big raw salad post that can be too much. So actually, a smoothie might be your best meal post a workout. Yeah, yeah. Then wait about three hours and eat a proper meal and probably cooked. Yeah. So so there's also a kind of kind of looking at that and um, and again all the fodmaps together. So if you are making a meal um, like a vegetable stew, for example, um, go for more of the low fodmap veg as a majority and peel things. So yeah, yeah. We um, notice just even things like peeling the squash. Although you, we eat the skin on squash sometimes, mm. don't we? I definitely think I'm better not eating it. Yeah. So um, it could just be that it's just too much roughage. Um, when I'm cooking it, I'm like, you can peel it off your damn self. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, because it's so hard to peel. I'm cooking it with it on. Everyone hates peeling squash. After that, you do what you want. <laughs> Bit of a tip for my granddad, actually. I remember my dad said, he always said, a pair a day just keeps the bowels moving. I don't know why I just put that in there. It's so random. Uh, uh, just aren't aren't those me. kind of things meant to rhyme? Yeah. yeah. Did, you, <laughs> did it? No. There's a word roughage that triggered me. Every day. <laughs> keeps, <laughs> keeps, keeps, keeps the bowels moving. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the reason I remember that was roughage, because I don't Every day. <laughs> keeps the bowels working away. Yeah, that's There good. you go. Boom. But you have, um, like, our parents' generation, well, my parents are obsessed with roughage. Did you ever hear that? Yeah, yeah, my nan used to use that yeah. all the time. <laughs> some roughage. It's a roughage, boy. Yeah. Get some roughage down here. So yes, like, now. <laughs> Why don't say a pair a day, roughage? But he did eat a pair a day, and then he took me scrumping pears when I was a kid. Such a funny word, that. Scrumping. Yeah. Reminds me of that Which, Destiny's Child song. Yeah. Which one? And the club was scrumping, scrumping. <laughs> it doesn't really go like that. You worked that out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that song? Wasn't it thumping? Jumping. Oh. And the club was jumping, jumping. jumping. That, for some reason, that's the first thing that comes to mind when you say that word. That's like, that is like the welcome to Matt's brain. <laughs> Paraday. <laughs> Anyway, anyway uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, a couple of interventions that were mentioned, other than things like working on stress, circadian rhythm, looking at whether your exercise is messing well, your gut. This is a good point. Yeah, I think because, as you mentioned before, um, IBS is often a bit of an umbrella term. Yeah. yeah. So people go to the doctors for you know symptoms of either loose bowels or you yeah. know haven't been wind. however many days excessive wind, looks, you know whatever yeah. and it kind of like okay it's ibs you know some brother term as you mentioned some people as you also mentioned might have been suffering from symptoms for years and years other people maybe 
not so long. Yeah. Um, but what would be, you know, so somebody comes to you and they've they've been diagnosed with the doctors, you know, they've been, you know, a couple of years or so. You've maybe made a bit of a connection that it wasn't long after they, I don't know, maybe got a different job or some, an incident happened in their lives that, that's kind of like affected their stress, anxiety levels, their sleep quality, et cetera, et cetera. So rather kind of like immediately going down that route of, you know, testing and yeah, yeah. and whatnot, um, you, you would address those things first, right? So it'd Yeah, be... so I'm a big fan of, um, I used to kind of be gung-ho with like, yeah, we need to go in and we need to test and stuff. But what I found increasingly is, is the test is important, uh, is, is expensive. My time, you know, costs costs people, obviously. The supplements are expensive. And even the dietary changes might may mean an additional cost to people. And actually, there is so much we can do initially, just kind of analysing symptoms, health history, and looking at everything you just mentioned. So doing a full assessment of someone's lifestyle, even their kind of mental well-being will give me clues as to where we can make some major progress. And actually, I tend to use testing, you know, after 12 weeks, if I'm not seeing a major difference... And I mean, any progress is progress. For me, it was such a slow journey. Like, yeah. it really was, and it was full of... I mean, mine must have been, in total, about 10 years of kind of back and forth, back and forth. Because I started in the realm of dietitians, so obviously I wasn't getting very far with dietitians. But they did give me things like probiotics and digestive enzymes initially. Yeah. Um, then I move into kind of nutritional therapy, functional medicine, and I get more kind of aware of the fact that everything from stress to all the antibiotics I took as a teenager and in my 20s for acne were, you know, having this effect and I need to go in and do other stuff. Um, but also look at things like my training. Like running was really messing my gut up, so I had to restore some of the nutrients that would help fix that. But in terms of what you've just said, it really depends on the individual. I'll kind of look at them, and if someone comes to me a ball of stress, the best supplement plan in the world isn't going to make much of a difference because there's just going to be that interaction between the brain and the gut so I'm going to have to deal with that side of it first. If someone comes to me and they've been traveling and have like, you know, have never been well since and chronic diarrhea, then I'll start to look at possibly like, why don't we do a round of antimicrobials and see, um, you know, let's see if we can make an improvement. So there's so much that you can do necessarily without having to have that test um, and put, put some key things in place. Um, some few things I was just going to mention here. I mean, the one thing they mentioned initially was if you do a low FODMAP diet and feel the benefit there's a chance this is kind of enzyme-related or bacterial overgrowth-related. Right. So there's one kind of answer for you. And I remember doing a low FODMAP diet, and I just thought it was a miracle. I was only on it for a day, and I went, oh, my God, Matt, I've not farted for 24 hours. That is a miracle. Like, yeah, because normally my stomach would, like, triple in size after a meal, and I didn't understand why I was eating healthy, da 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 But, you know, as soon as I kind of brought that veg down, and I remember just having salmon and spinach for a couple of meals, that's mm. how I tested it. I was like, wow, like... Yeah, no wind, no bloating. So I knew I was going towards enzyme insufficiency or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth where they were just over-fermenting my food. Next up is an elimination diet, and they call it an IgG elimination diet, which is different to an IgE elimination diet. So if you go to the doctors with a suspected allergy, yeah, remember IgE, evil, that's how I remember it, where, really? they, where they give you the pinprick and see, like, oh, here's some... Uh, grass you know and see what your skin does or something right, like that right. you know like they'll scratch cat fur into you or whatever they do um that's an ige evil because it's an instant reaction by the body so you'll get like a histamine response of like redness rash swelling yeah um you know that's that's kind of what we'd have with a peanut for example with right. anaphylaxis 
Then we've got an IgG response, which is delayed by maybe like three days. Mm-hmm. That's more like an IBS response to right. something. And the only way you can really track that is an elimination diet. There are tests, like a York test is one of the popular brands, but the science just goes back and forth with false negatives, false positives. So they say the gold standard is to just go, well, do you know what? I've eaten eggs every day or I've had you know, oats every day for the last three years. Why don't I not have oats for... Yeah, basically. And eliminate it for around 28 days if you can, even two weeks if you can. Like, it's going to make a difference. And then eat it and then wait three days. And then if you've done several foods, you would wait three, four days before introducing a new food in. But if you could... If you picked five foods for me now that you eat nearly every day, it's the protein you react to. So if you're doing protein powders, there is a strong chance that you're reacting to them a little bit now because they're a really concentrated source of protein. Yeah. So name me five foods. So whey protein. Yeah. Eggs. Yeah. Avocado. Oh, really? Okay. Well, no, I'm thinking of things that I probably have most days. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, banana. Coffee, I'd say. Oh, yeah, coffee. coffee, coffee. <laughs> so you would I, eliminate those. I didn't feel I needed to mention coffee. <laughs> so you, anyone out there can do that now and go, right, here's five things. I'm going to eliminate these five and then just work on that. And they're right. really common. Some of them are very allergenic foods. Like, I should probably do a, a nut amnesty for a month and I'd probably feel a lot better. Well, we'd, we'd save a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> if you stop buying nut butters. Yeah. That's for sure. Definitely. Uh, next up is um, something called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Yeah. So this is when you would come up with, like, a negative on a celiac test. Remember, the doctors aren't testing all the kind of reactions mm-hmm. that you could have to gluten. But they believe that there's something where you're not getting that kind of classic um, response that a celiac would have, but you are getting as in the autoimmune type. Yeah. But there's some kind of sensitivity. And generally, it's things like joint pain, swelling, bloating. And we know loads of people who say, oh, my God, when I get gluten, like I swell up, you know, yeah. hands swell, that kind of stuff. Um, maybe you have another autoimmune condition, but notice that gluten does that to you, but you're mm-hmm. not celiac. So that's just something to explore. You're going to hate this. A low nickel diet was also recommended. Because have you ever heard of nickel allergy when people can't wear jewellery with nickel in it? Yes. So I, I remember having a friend who couldn't wear certain jewellery for that reason. Um, and I'm just going to read off. Let me just get the list up here. What's in a nickel diet? Um, because it's it's just just disastrous. Um, <laughs> so foods that are highest in nickel: almond, chickpeas, cocoa, concentrated tomato. How much do we love like tomato puree? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Lentils, oats, peanuts, and walnuts. That's a devastating list to me, but that's nickel. Mm, not so much me. No, I can, it's to me. They're the highest nickel foods. And the lowest are <laughs> carrots, figs, lettuce. Oh, that's great news, lettuce. Green, green salad, licorice, <laughs> mushroom, place and cod, rhubarb, and tea. Um, and then also, if you look at the second highest load, artichoke, asparagus, beans, cabbage, cauliflower, green beans... Uh, is yeast, this, is margarine, it, mussels, oysters, potatoes, is, pears, plums, spinach, tomatoes. Is this common though? That someone would need um, to. I have never heard this before, but a sign is um, if you're getting inside your mouth kind of like ulcerations and blisters, um, you could try a nickel elimination diet and see because it's kind of affecting the mucosal linings again. And so wow. um, they, they kind of showed some pictures. I'm sure if you Google, um, I don't know, reactions to nickel mucosa mouth mm. it, they'll show you the pictures of they're kind of like like if you wore the jewelry and got a blistered reaction on the skin yeah, same yeah. thing inside the mouth like on the on the in the lips um so i don't think i don't think it's me because <laughs> i don't have that 
and I'm not giving up almonds and cocoa. Um, next up, vitamin D is another factor. Mm. It's really important in maintaining the integrity of the gut barrier that we mentioned about. So vitamin D deficiency is implicated in a lot of autoimmune diseases. Is it because the gut barrier breaks down? Like we, we, we kind of, there's a lot of people kind of making that suggestion. Um, <clears throat> so again, making sure you get enough sunlight. And now that we're going into winter in the UK, looking at doing 2,000 to 5,000 international units a day. I would say go with a, a D3 complex and ideally make sure you either eat foods with K2 and vitamin A and vitamin E. Um, if you don't already, you can hit up our fitofood.com website and look for some stuff on there um, with those foods in. But if you uh, don't eat those foods, then maybe look at a vitamin D complex. Um, I know Allergy Research have one, Designs for Health have one, where you've got A, D, E and K so that they're kind of, you keep them balanced. Right. Very important. Um, and that's it, really. That's uh, There were some other things like genetic uh, mutations that mean you don't produce as many enzymes. But again, the outcome would be the same, that you take an enzyme. One was kind of saying how much you would react to sugar because you'd have this enzyme deficiency. I think that's a good thing. Because <laughs> then you'd be like, yeah. don't tolerate sugar very well. Blokes me. I suppose like a, a good point to kind of mention here is, uh, and again, I suppose this comes back to um, patients, really, in the... You know, if you have been making nutritional choices, lifestyle choices that, you know, have impacted your gut health, you know, gut permeability, et cetera, et cetera, for quite some time, you know, you're not going to be able to restore things like overnight, are you? No, I, I tend to say to people, and again, if you're really overwhelmed by everything I've just said, I didn't mean to do that. I just love sharing information, but then just you can book in with us and work with us and we work through a process a logical process over I was about to say 12 weeks I yeah. tend to say to people yeah. and I do the session and I say email support now for the next few weeks we'll just keep in touch you're going to go on this journey of learning what you react to what you don't you're going to go on this journey of learning how much your mindset affects your gut um you know and also not just the foods um but then I'm also kind of there intervening in a way with infrastructure support more probiotics Mm -hmm. prebiotics to grow the probiotics but but often it is you know like let's be honest you know like everything that you've mentioned you know there is a lot of information there but we do this so that you get a a better understanding that's why we do these podcasts because we always feel that the more kind of educated you are about these things the easier it is to kind of get your head around it and understand it a little bit more and therefore take action against it. And and whilst it might feel a bit overwhelming, the reality is actually uh, a lot of the changes that you that you make that have a really big impact are dead simple. Yeah. And, you know, it's just a case of it's always going to feel harder at first because any kind of change is always tough regardless. You know, like Keris mentioned, if there is that kind of process of elimination, you might feel a bit sorry for yourself at first because yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, I miss cheese or oh, I miss like you know what? The, oats the two or things, my coffee. The, the two things people do not want to give up. And coffee. actually, one I haven't actually mentioned is quite damaging to the gut. Coffee? Uh, no, I can normally get people to give up coffee. Really? It's only you that I can't, I can't, I've not okay. had that success with. Two, two things. Try and guess them. One I haven't mentioned it yet, actually. It's been, Booze? Yeah. So alcohol. Um, definitely alcohol that's high in yeast so you're looking at and, and gluten is, is your beers and, and, and wines are just full of rubbish these days so um, if you have anything like a fungal um, uh, fungal overgrowth then that's just going to massively exacerbate it and, and, and usually gets into every system in the body and causes a problem um, second one can you guess 
bread. Oh, right. <laughs> like it's a proper like yeah, I don't know why I negotiation think. process. Oh, yeah, I don't know why I didn't think of that. Really. Proper negotiation process. I'm like, oh, what about if we just had uh, bread after four weeks? You know, like I, I'm. I'm I think it's maybe, I don't know. But, again, that kind of comes down to the fact that, you know, if someone has been eating bread every day for the last however many years in the form of toast in the morning, sandwich, whatever it may be, then, again, it comes down to that element of change. Yes. That's quite a drastic change, something yeah. I have every day. But, as we always say with these things, a lot of the time it's temporary. You know, we're not yeah, saying yeah, you can never though, eat no. bread again. You can never have dairy again. You repair the infrastructure you know, in I moderation. Mean, it can yeah, come back in. exactly. I mean, unless, of course, you are celiac, yeah, then, unfortunately, no. um, sucks to be you. Uh, oh, no, <laughs> no don't say that. I'm only saying that because I know people that are celiac, and I must admit, but I really feel for them. Because you don't even eat on any gluten. So. No, no, but, but, but I can. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you know what? I don't need to worry about, you know, there being traces of yes. products. Yeah, and, yeah. and don't get me wrong, like, you know, like some people that I meet are very much in control of it and they, you know, they, they kind of go about their day, no problem. But there are some people where you just, I, I don't know, just I, I, I suppose it's something I take for granted really in yeah, the yeah. these days but even with these autoimmune conditions what we're seeing is when somebody is you know relaxed in sunlight mm. you know that even yeah. I, I've heard this is anecdotal at this stage but I've heard people saying celiacs are able to tolerate gluten in those circumstances I'm not sure but what I have seen is very similar with all autoimmune conditions symptoms improve when stress is managed you fixed your gut mm. you fixed your diet 80 to 90 percent of the time yeah. Like, the flare-ups are less, so the tolerance is higher. I'd I'd probably say as well, I I genuinely believe a lot of people that uh, say they're celiac aren't actually celiac. I think a lot of people self-diagnose because they make a connection of... I'd say that about gluten intolerance. I don't know know anyone saying they're celiac. No, no, I I think... think like all things, you know, people like, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, the world's full of like hypochondriacs that are just making up like illnesses. I almost feel like, you know, that, that there's people out there and the same can be said for many other things is that, you know, they put two and two together of, oh, I eat gluten. I feel like crap. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I'm celiac. I'm yeah. celiac. Or, yeah, I'm, yeah. I haven't had that official diagnosis no, of antibodies. No. Or maybe they have had a diagnosis, but maybe it was a false one. Yeah. You know, like it's, because I, I think there's a there is a huge difference to having a that like you said that sensitivity to gluten and being celiac. Well, you'll go to a doctor for if you went for a celiac test at a doctor, you could have false positives and false negatives yeah. because they don't test the full array of antibodies. Exactly. So you could you could have both outcomes of that, but you could have had a false positive. You could have a false negative, but be gluten sensitive. Sensitive. Yeah. So anyway. But then, but I suppose the point I was going to make was that, like, you know, like, in my experience, people that I know that are very much celiac, you know, if they have gluten, they know about it. Yeah, and also one thing to add here is, uh, I've mentioned this uh, on previous podcasts, people start to fear food, and that will create an IBS attack. It will, mm. it will kind of cause the gut to, you know, have the same effect as your rugby match, essentially, but in a very different way. But the mechanism could be the same in that, if you think that you are reacting to gluten and then you go to someone's house and they serve you a big bowl of pasta, you know, you know, okay, you know, that kind of thing. Or maybe you ate something and then read a label afterwards and went, oh my God, it's got gluten in it. And I definitely did this when I had really bad IBS and I was trying to do the elimination diet. 
and I'd eat something and then and then I'd label read afterwards and I'd miss that it had milk protein in it or um, a flower of types and I would get so wound up that then mm. I would have an IBS attack now was it the gluten and the milk protein or was it that I was really wound up about the fact probably, so probably similarly latter, yeah. similarly being fed food in a restaurant that I kind of asked oh could you remove this and this and then they don't and they bring it full of whatever dressings and stuff and you know very same thing again you know have that IBS attack but, that, but that, is it because I got so wound up at you know no. But again, that just comes back to, you know, the environment of which you're eating the food in or, yeah, yeah. you know... You, I definitely in... think something goes off in the food industry with, I don't know if it's preservatives, emulsifiers, something. Um, and both me and you have said this, that we will get really unexplained IBS attacks having something like fish and vegetables, more or less. And we don't know if it's like a sauce that the fish is cooked in or something. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense that we get a reaction to the food. But both yeah. of us have noticed that. Like, you just never know what they're putting in there, really, do you? So. Could be a delayed effect. You know, could could have been what did you have three days three before? Three days before, true. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, um, last thing I was just going to say was, if you know someone, because I am getting increasing um, amounts of people coming to me and messages on our Facebook group and... Um, saying, I have an IBS diagnosis. If you know someone who has an IBS diagnosis, send them this podcast to listen to just so they can do more and empower themselves a little bit more to, you know, basically kind of take control of the situation and start to address their symptoms and, you know, really get on that journey to being symptom-free. And it is possible. You kind of think it's something you're going to have to live with and you don't. And there is so much that you can do before even looking at supplementation or testing and whatnot which you never know may well be enough and it might be some really simple things such as chewing your food properly and not rushing all the time yeah or eating real food not refined food that kind of stuff etc etc depends on really no pen sorry i've got a marker pen in my hand and i just took the lid off to write something and thought that smells nice that's a bit wrong isn't it (laughs) just a little bit yeah i mean i see what you're saying like but but it's one of those uh, it's like marmite smells really in there because i think some people really like that smell and some people really hate it yeah kind of reminds me of school that's what i think it is yeah i haven't smelled that for ages anyway Anyway, we digress. Very random way to end the podcast yeah. there. <laughs> Useful, no. Don't make a habit of it, all right? Yeah. <laughs> right, guys, hope you enjoyed. Have you got plenty from that? Any questions at all about what we've spoken about or just in general, nutrition, training, health, fat loss, wherever you are on your journey, reach out to us. We do our very, very best to help you. Um, and if you do feel that this would be a benefit to anybody else, this podcast, I mean, um, share away. And if you haven't done so already, I know I ask it all the time, pretty, pretty please, please leave a review on iTunes. Um, any kind of feedback is, you know, amazing for us, good and bad. Hopefully it'll be good though. Um, and yeah, we will see you in episode 94. See you later. Bye.